1: Okay, one week to go. It's all horse race all the time here at Deep Background. We take a look at those big Kansas races, and we'll dip into Medicaid for just a second or two, too. I'm Dave Helling. You are on Deep Background. Well, greetings. You're on Deep Background for July 28th, 29th. 2020, Dave Helling with the STARS editorial board, Derek Donovan, my friend and colleague and co-host joining us, and Brian Lowry from Washington, a political reporter extraordinaire. Brian, always great to have you on the pod. Thanks, Thanks for having me. It. Yeah. Now, so, okay, it's all horse race all the time, okay? All this policy and all that, not out the window. We're all about the horse race in this edition of the podcast because people are voting now and of course election day is next tuesday so brian let's go in reverse order and talk about some of the races you've worked on and just give us your own views of where the race stands in each of these campaigns and what we need to be looking for let's start in kansas two where you have a three-way race for the republican nomination including an incumbent who is under some stress and then two challengers walk us through that one
2: I, I think this is the most interesting race in the nation right now. I think this is this this was kind of in the background, and I think it has, at this point, it surpassed the Senate race. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Steve Watkins faces voter fraud charges that were announced just minutes before the candidates did a televised debate. Um, I interviewed him this morning. He, he admits that he voted at the wrong address. He voted at the address for a... Uh, Topeka UPS store. What he disagrees with is that uh, he's committed a felony because he's saying he, he did it inadvertently, that it was an error. Uh, so he's just essentially uh, asking people to, to forgive him this one. But one thing that makes that very difficult is that Chris Kobach, who is in another race that we're going to be talking about, prosecuted people for several years in Kansas under very similar circumstances.
1: Yeah, the other thing that makes it difficult is Steve Watkins is a congressman. Right. The, the right. incumbent. <laughs> and and I, I said to
2: him, I was like, I, I said to him uh, this morning, I mean, how, you know, how, as a co- Congressman, can you explain to your constituents that you could screw up something as fundamental as a voter registration form? And um, he, he obviously says it was inadvertent, but he's also saying that it was a collegial effort, which is very strange that this would be a collegial effort in the office. I actually had to confirm this morning with Roger Marshall and Sharice Davids' offices that they helped their bosses fill out voter registration forms. So it's, it's a very bizarre case. Uh, it's, it hit at a, a, a terrible time for Watkins, though there is a question of, you know, is this coming a little bit too late to actually knock him out. Well, let's
1: uh, talk about the other candidates. Taylor
2: Turner, who is Jake the treasurer, who who Watkins alleges this is all a elaborate conspiracy to maintain, is he's obviously he he had a pretty good nest egg going into the campaign. But it was all from his Senate campaign. He hasn't raised a lot of money, so he doesn't really have the, the resources to fully capitalize. He has been the most aggressive and he does have key endorsements. Uh, Kansans for Life, which is a very influential gr- a group in Republican primaries, uh, has given him the sole endorsement. It withdrew. He had given a dual endorsement, but withdrew that from uh, from Watkins after the felony charges. And then the other candidate, who probably won't win, but is just a very fascinating person, is Dennis Taylor. And we're going to have a story uh, coming out this week that looks in depth at all of Watkins' challengers. But you know, Dennis Taylor served in multiple Republican administrations. Was chief of staff to. Governor Mike Hayden was Sam Brownback's first secretary of administration and warned him that if he wanted to cut taxes as much as he wanted to, he was going to have to cut spending. And Brownback didn't listen to him.
1: Yeah, we we should point this out that Dennis Taylor may also end up on your editorial page (laughs) in that race because he's a fascinating guy, isn't he? And also uh,
2: spent some time in Eastern Europe, actually after the end of the Cold War, was working for USID, helping set up local government administration in Eastern Bloc countries, essentially teaching teaching uh, the bureaucrats who had worked under communism how to run Democratic City Council meetings and similar things like that. So absolutely fascinating life story. And then whoever wins the Republican nomination will face uh, most likely Topeka Mayor Michelle de la Isla, who also – absolutely like her life story. She was, she was homeless uh, in Puerto Rico as a 17 year old and has this very uh, interesting journey to become the mayor of Kansas's capital city. So I think both because of the, how strange these, 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 uh, this case is involving Watkins and that all of these figures, uh, you know, opposing him, including Jake LaTurner, who's the youngest uh, statewide official in the country. They all come from really interesting backgrounds.
1: Yeah, let me, can, can we, we Carter need to be
2: very tight. And, yeah. and so I I, I, I. this is one to watch for sure.
1: Before Before we move on, Steve Watkins was supposed to lose the primary two years ago and did not. He was supposed to lose the general and did not. So there are consultants who have misjudged him immensely. And for all the scandal, he is the incumbent and, and, you know, He's in that race. He could certainly eke out a win. And I I would, uh, he could definitely eke out a primary
2: win. And because he is, as you say, the incumbent Republican. So it's going to be a situation where we're either looking at an open seat race, which means it's anybody's game again, or the Republican nominee is going to be an incumbent who is grappling with criminal charges
1: brought by a Republican prosecutor. Yeah, no question. Okay, let's move on to Kansas 3. Uh five-person Republican field there trying to take on Sharice Davids in the fall. Uh, three women, two men. Most of the attention, Brian, as you know, is focused on the three women. Uh, Adrian Foster, Amanda Adkins, and Sarah Hart Weir. Uh, horse race. Where does that one stand? So I think it's key is
2: that Amanda Adkins not, has not only raised the most money in this race, she also has a super PAC that's being funded primarily by her father, who is Alan Landis, who is uh, – yeah of uh, uh from former president of herzog construction who uh any of your missouri listeners probably yes. know is a big deal in the, the adjacent state um and so she has the most resources right now that are working for her both her own and the resources in this pack uh they are running um a t- very aggressive attack ads against Sarah Hart weir uh, both weir and Adkins uh, had laid down a lot of work for this race early on we are both seen as very high-level uh, recruits from the NRCC who, that was really interested in taking back uh, taking back this seat which is you know in a republican leaning district but the, a district where neither party really has the strongest foothold it, it's you know it's a plurality uh, however that said, you know, the NRCC told me that this week that it's, that it's not determined yet whether or not it's going to spend in this race in the general election. So it may be because of the national map um, as the uh, Democratic feel, you know, t- potential for Democratic pickups expands, that the NRCC is maybe a little bit less invested in this race. Than they were just six months ago.
1: So, is, is there a chance that uh, that Foster and uh, Adkins could sort of take each other, or I mean, uh, Sarah Hart Weir and Atkins could could ca- take each other out and and create a lane for Adrian Foster? For for for, Vallejo,
2: for Adrian Vallejo Foster yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or or Tom Love, perhaps. I mean, and Adrian Vallejo Foster has certainly been working hard to uh, reach out to the grassroots uh, activists. She's got an interesting background. She's the uh, you know, former mayor of, of of Park. And I think one thing that she's she's noted in the recent debates is she's also a woman of color. So if she was the nominee, it would be pretty fascinating to see that both general election uh, nominees in the state of Kansas be women of color.
1: We've talked a lot about Donald Trump. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this here and then take a break. But um, how does Trump play in the third district? I mean, you could make the case that Kevin Yoder lost because he could not create any daylight between himself and Donald Trump. The new nominee is going to face the same dilemma.
2: If you had Kevin Yoder on your program, I think he would probably make that case.
3: Um, well, I it, think it's legit, you know. It's absolutely I mean, it true. It's absolutely yeah. true, Dave. And a complicating factor to that, too, is the frontrunners in that race right now are ideologically much closer to Donald Trump than Kevin Yoder was.
2: Yeah, it's the irony. This is where the primary system gets you, because to win the Republican primary, you really do need to embrace the conservative side. And you need and, and that has meant uh, tangibly uh, embracing Trump and all of the candidates and and you had them on four star politics for a debate all of them gave Trump very high marks and you know were very resistant to criticize anything that he's done so all of the republicans have been very strong in impressing their pro trump credentials in a way that yoder didn't have to last election and so then now you know those are going to be statements that david's campaign and the democrats Use against them in the general election when you in and this is not to take anything away from Sharice David who obviously ran a, a very strong campaign in 2018 but you know when we talked to voters at the polls in 2018 many of them told us that they were voting for David's to send a message uh, 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 to Donald Trump and send a message about Donald Trump so as long as he's the at the top of the ticket it's tough to see how that dynamic changes.
1: Right. And, 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 you know, I think the calculus a year ago was from Republicans. We need to nominate a woman in that district. That's, you know, Sharice Davis was a woman. We have to have a woman. It's more complicated than that. Seems to me. Correct. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it will be an interesting thing to
2: watch David uh, as an incumbent. They will have votes they can um, attack her on, but she's also going to have, Pieces of legislation that she can point to that she, uh, e- even if she wasn't the sole sponsor yeah. of them, that she had a hand in that she can uh, that she's been a part of. So it, it's it's a it's fascinating race. Um, I just think it's it's been actually having trouble getting oxygen to some degree between how competitive the Senate race is and how bizarre these adjacent second district races. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of it's having. I think some of these candidates are having a little bit. A trouble penetrating in such a crowded media
1: environment. All right. Well, we'll talk about that on the other side. Let's take a break. When we come back, the Kansas Republican primary to replace Pat Roberts. You're on Deep Background.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
3: Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star editorial board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear. Help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at The Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to KansasCity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to The Star for $1.99 total. That's right. You get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So go grab your computer or mobile device and head to KansasCity.com slash background. And hey, thanks for listening.
1: Okay, we're back on Deep Background. Dave Helling with the STARS editorial board. Derek Donovan also on that board, also a co-host of Deep Background. And our good friend and expert, Brian Lowry, joining us from Washington. Okay, we've gone over Kansas 2, Kansas 3. Not really anything on the Missouri side other than Medicaid expansion, which I think is going to pass. We'll come back to that uh, in a deep background podcast after the election, but we do have to focus on the Senate primary on the Republican side in Kansas, uh, Brian, 11 candidates, uh, all of them uh, climbing over the other to be the most conservative in the race with the exception, probably of Brian Matlock. We can talk about him in a minute, but, but what, what's the dynamic there? Is it, is it, I mean, the, the conventional wisdom is of course Chris Kobach and Roger Marshall, the favorites with, Bob Hamilton a spoiler, David Lindstrom a spoiler. Is that, is that wisdom right? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, not to be boring and
2: just uh, accepting the conventional wisdom, but I, I think that's really how, to, how you have to think about the race right now, which is it is essentially a race between Chris Kobach and Roger Marshall, but Dave Lindstrom and Bob Hamilton are relevant because Roger Marshall needs Every possible vote he can get, which is what I mean, it actually struck some some people a little bit odd that Marshall was running attack ads against Hamilton, you know, during this race. Right. But that was actually because I think he was trying to. You had this you had this candidate who was trying to run an insurgent campaign to be the Kobach alternative, and and I think Marshall was trying to to go after him fairly early. Hamilton's completely self funded. He's put in three and a half million dollars of his own money as personal loans to date, to date, you know, and, but, you know, as the, for the first two weeks of July, when you had a pre-primary filing, he only raised about a little more than a thousand dollars during that period. So this is his own money that he is spending on all of these ads that you are seeing uh, is incessantly in the Kansas city area market. So if it pays off, I mean, the guy bet on himself big, but most likely He'll likely finish in in third behind Kobach and uh, Marshall, who it's just very tough to say for me right now who has the edge. I don't think that if Marshall and the Republican establishments felt that they had gotten it um, all the way over the top, you'd be seeing this flurry of activity you're seeing endorsements uh, that type of thing endorsement from pat rob pat roberts was adamant that he was going to stay neutral but i think he was looking at the fact that either <laughs> that chris kobach might be the next nominee, and i think roberts hasn't hid that he's not the biggest kobach fan and uh, and the, the guy decided he wanted to pick his successor and he rolled that out um and you know the senate leadership fund mitch, which is the pack very close to mitch mcconnell put in a million Point two into the race real late, and, but part of the reason they're doing that is because there's also these forces that are coming in to help Chris Kobach. One is is Peter Thiel, who is a longtime uh, friend of Chris Kobach, who is funding this Free Forever pack. Uh, but there's also this more mysterious group called Sunflower State, which it seems to be a, a Democratic group that is essentially running Mac- Claire McCaskill's strategy. From 2012, which is to build Chris Kobach up that he's too conservative, while also attacking Roger Marshall for being a phony, yeah. and so I don't think either candidate uh, is comfortable. I it, it has a comfortable lead. It's very close as far as far as I'm concerned. I I did thought I did find it a little bit strange uh, when I actually had the pleasure of listening in to the editorial board's conversation with um, Marshall and some some of the other candidates that Marshall said he didn't want the Stars endorsement. But Marshall is running, a, he's got a coalition that's very similar to what Jeff Collier had two years ago and one thing that the Collier people complained about two years ago was that the Star didn't endorse them and had endorsed Jim Barnett. So uh, it's, to me, it's like you know, Mar- Mar- Marshall kind of could needs everybody he
1: can. So well, do you, do you think when Roger Marshall, Brian, looks back, regardless of what happens next Tuesday, he will think he might have done some things differently? I mean, Kobach is going to be Kobach. And, you know, after he lost the governor's race, everybody said, oh, well, he's learned his lesson. He's going to raise money and be organized. He's done none, other, none of those things, really. But Roger Marshall needed to make himself better known here, here. In where uh, I sit, Johnson County, Kansas, yeah. and you get the sense here we are a week out that he's still an unknown quantity in a lot. Now, maybe not for most Republicans, but some, and that's where David Lindstrom and Bob Hamilton make a difference because they he, both of them are known in Johnson County. Well
2: yeah, known, it does I think this is a case of where there's probably things Marshall should have done, but this is also if I can actually expand it out. I people who are really if Kobach prevails are, are going to really be kicking themselves are actually the national Republicans who spent more than a year on the, kicking to get Mike Pompeo into the race. And that ultimately failed. Now, some people might blame Pompeo for resisting this, but he, you really hampered all of the other Republican candidates, save probably Chris Kobach, um, From doing the races that they would do otherwise, Uh, Susan Wagle, who ultimately decided not to file, has been very upfront about how that having the shadow of Pompeo hang over the races made it uh, impossible to fundraise. I think that probably hampered Marshall's fundraising. I mean, Marshall has only been the establishment
1: pick for about a month, right? (laughs) Right, right. you know, up until June, 4th. and not only that, Brian. He's the default pick, right? He's the first district right. congressman. If he, you know, he's a he could be a, a baked potato, and they're going to endorse him because he's the heir apparent and all those other things. And he's but not in, Kobach. Up up until about June first, McConnell was publicly telling people that he wanted Pompeo
2: uh, to get in, and so there was this. There could have been more of an effort by the National Republicans who have now embraced Roger Marshall to maybe. Help get him on stronger footing early. Now they may say that he hadn't shown um, up until that point the things they needed to see in terms of fundraising and messaging, uh, the ability, like the the, he hadn't shown whatever he needed to to get them to do that. But it's you you do have to to wonder uh, how much the you know as as much as there's been accusations of folks trying to meddle from the party apparatus to help Marshall. Uh, the past couple of weeks, how much how much he was damaged by all of the meddling
1: to, to get Pompeo in. Uh, right. And that, and let me it's because I think, you know, the broader question and, Derek, you know, we talked about this at length in the editorial board when we discussed this race today. No one ever seemed interested in the Republican field, uh, Brian, of of carving out the moderate lane. You know, there was no yeah. there. You would think that there would have been an opening for one of these 11 candidates and maybe one of the top four or five to say, no, I'm not Kobach. But I'm also not Marshall. I'm not, you know, Bob Hamilton. There's a there's a Cassabom Dole,
3: Dick Bond lane. And no one took it. No one. Took right. it. And we did see those types of candidates at the Kansas level, at the state level. You know, we, we talked to several of those. Right, and congressional level, you know, Dennis Taylor, for oh, example, sure. who may not win, but but
1: people who, who it seemed like there was a lane. Susan Wagle wasn't going to fill it. Nobody yeah. ever filled it. I don't know that any, I, so I don't know that you could fill that
2: lane and and win the statewide primary, but to me, the more interesting question is, what's the effect that no one is in that lane? Yeah. There's one right now at the top ticket uh uh, I mean, you're mentioning Dennis Taylor in the congressional race, but there's no one in the statewide race working to turn out uh, moderate Republican voters. So to me, I really wonder what happens to moderate Republicans in those down-ballot legislative races because they need to get everybody out to vote for them themselves because Chris Kobach, Roger Marshall, and Bob Hamilton are all working on turning out Red meat conservative voters. Now there's gradations within there. The folks who prefer Marshall are more business focused than the folks who prefer Kobach who are more focused on immigration. But but it's all been an effort to turn out conservative leaning Republican voters. So I do wonder what the down ballot effect is is going to be that you don't have a equivalent of Jim Barnett, or you don't have that moderate Republican voice at, at the top of the ticket. You
1: know, what's interesting to me is, for example, it's clear that Roger Marshall wanted to say early on, I'm not Chris Kobach. But instead of saying, I'm not Chris Kobach, I'm more moderate. He says, I'm not Chris Kobach. I'm more conservative than Kobach. I mean, so, so the race to the right and, and 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 just your thoughts on this Brian it, it won't matter if the nominee whoever it turns out to be beats Barb boyer if that happens which has happened for 80 years whatever the math is then I think the Republicans will continue to have these fights if boyer lo- wins don't you think there's a reckoning coming oh for sure and it's I, what, what
2: I would say there's a couple there's a couple things to respond there to but I, I Marshall, the times have been saddled with the moderate label, even though he votes with Trump ninety eight percent of the time, which is the most out of any member of the Kansas delegation of either, of either chamber in Congress, and that's because he beat a more conservative candidate. Tim yeah, Biel's you candidate. cannot be more conservative than in, Tim you know in but he's he's by no means obviously uh, a moderate. But um, there will be, you know, I, I think certainly if if Kobach wins. And then uh, and for the second election in a row loses to a moderate Democratic female candidate. There will obviously have to be a reckoning uh, within the Kansas GOP about running these uh, these more ideological uh, candidates at the top. But, you know, I, what I would say is there's also a possibility that Marshall faces a, a close race. The conventional wisdom is that... Um, is that Marshall would shore this race up for Republicans. That becomes a toss up with Kobach. And maybe it's not a slam dunk with Marshall, but that it's a a lean art and maybe even solid R race. But if Marshall has a close race with Boyer, there's going to be people in Kobach's swing of the party that says, see, there's a lack of enthusiasm. See, see, like we told you, we told you so. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that works out. I mean, Boyer is going to mount the one mo- perhaps the most competitive um, uh, competitive campaign by a Democrat since the 1930s at least since the 1970s when Dole had that very close race with Bill Roy. With Delroy, Roy um, but I still think you need to consider her the underdog. It's it's kind of it's 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 kind of tough to think about it that way when she has eight times as much money as Kobach and four times as much money as Marshall, But she is fighting an uphill battle, and she's going to have to use every single one of those dollars, and there will be a flood of Republican money that comes in to support the nominee – whoever it is, it's just, I think, one thing national Republicans are concerned about is they might have to spend a little bit more. if it's Right, Christmas.
1: that's true, although I would guess that if it's competitive at all, the Dems will have some third-party money coming in too to try to help her because they think she might be, uh, or this might be the seat that turns the Senate Democratic in 2021. Okay, let me ask you one final sort of broad question, and we'll call it a day. Kraski and I were sitting in the Starz newsroom probably eight, 10 years ago eight years ago taking a look at kansas politics and we saw a collision coming in the senate race to replace pat roberts and that collision was kevin yoder against mike pompeo against tim Huel's camp, against <laughs> lynn jenkins yeah. and we were sure that's what was coming and right. here we are in 2020 and they're all not in the race and only one is still in politics and see that's That's amazing to
2: me that's the timeline if if hillary clinton had won right mike pompeo would still be the congressman from wichita he wouldn't have had these opportunities to to serve as first cia director and secretary of state kevin yoder may have most likely would have retained seat in 2018 and you know who knows what would have happened with Camp. (laughs) But and Jenkins, Jenkins right Jenkins may have still decided to retire her the same time she did but certainly I mean it it you know I, I think you're absolutely right that we were likely to see Kevin Yoder and Pompeo go toe to toe maybe one of those uh, other uh, uh, members in a race but that all hinged on you know that's a different timeline we don't we don't live in that
1: time right and i guess that's my point really is yeah. that, that that what we think is absolutely certain in politics yeah. has a half life of about 24 hours right i mean when we go through all of this horse race stuff yeah well, uh, the just, people just, have a weird way of making a decision it, it
2: shows you how the the impact of trump's election on a red state's politics in that it allows for someone like Mike Pompeo to leapfrog into a higher position, maybe much sooner uh, than he could have. It led to the elevation of Chris Kobach with a, to build a national profile to him in some significant ways and probably helped him. You know, Certainly Trump's tweets helped him win the primary for governor two years ago. So it really is that. But hurt him in the general, presumably. But it, it really, it really did shift the direction of Kansas politics, and it also meant that we had to say goodbye to your beloved Sam Brownback. Uh yeah. he got that ambassadorship uh, position. So, well,
1: right, and 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 just as long as we're talking about that, the retirement of Pat Roberts is part of that too. I mean, Pat, you know, that whole right. cohort, if you will, of Republicans, Brownback, Roberts, leaving the stage. The other people that you thought were on the bench are no longer on the bench. And you're left with this maelstrom that we've seen this year.
2: Now, Ro- Roberts is very fond of telling people that he's 24 0 in elections. And if this seat does go blue, uh, you know, after Roberts says, you know, 24 0 includes his U.S. House elections, obviously. Um, <laughs> if this seat does go blue, I wonder how many people like Pat Roberts is going to say to I could have won it.
1: Yeah. I can, I've known Pat since 1980. I know exactly what he would say. Brian, I appreciate it so much. Be a fascinating day next Tuesday. And then it's a 90 day sprint to the finish line uh, where the contrast, as they say, will be much more clear uh, in, uh, you know, in Kansas and in every state in the union. It's so good of you to be here. And we'll of course reach out to you again and again, as we get closer to election day, Derek Donovan, thank you again so much for being with us and, run on the board here at the podcast, uh, and good luck. Everybody get out and vote. As they used to say, vote early and often. So, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Derek. I'm Dave Helling with the Stars Editorial Board, and you've been on Deep Background.